before um, before I start the Q and A, I'm gonna make Gary sign my book <laughs> because even though we've been friends for a long time, there's no uh, who knows when he whisks away in his car. Um, so. Quick story, um, and I don't know if Gary knows this, but we, we have the fortune of, uh, I had the fortune of meeting Gary at a, a, a few conferences, uh, early days, probably early 2000s. I don't know, what year was the lobby conference? Was it 0302, roughly, when we met? I think eight. Eight? eight. Okay. And here's my quick story, and we're gonna get to Q&A, was it was cocktail hour, we're in Hawaii, a nice place, um, lots of people walking around. It's, you know, it's six o'clock, seven o'clock, it's, it's gorgeous, I'm kind of going to a bar. And being here for three days is not enough. We need to leave this place and go to like our own island and go to our own destination for like a fucking month. And I remember hearing that and being like, God, this guy's nuts, you know, this is crazy, and who knows what the other people around him, I've never told you this story, were thinking, but my, perp, my reason for sharing that story is, I think that says everything, right? Like here's kind of a, uh, to, with conviction to convince people to leave and live someplace for a month. Maybe It doesn't matter if it was two weeks or a month or two months, but the point was he was dead serious. This is an ineffective way for us to get to know each other. He kind of pointed at me and said, like, for example, Chris Cunningham, we don't really know each other. Um, and that my point is for all the students, all the kids over there, that the fearlessness and ideas that are crazy, those are the best ones. They, those are the best ones. So I think that, that's, that was my kind of catalyst to get to know Gary um, and kind of watching what he's doing now. So I'm not going to do his bio or his intro or um, I think most of you guys know we're going to get into the Q&A Because uh, that's what we, we uh, that's what we're here to do Okay, and I'll get to sit next to Closer. Closer. All right, but I will kick I, I will do one. I will do uh, one uh, kickoff question to break the ice. Okay um, Wow, we're super tight. Has anyone <laughs> ever said this clip? <laughs> Damn. I, I feel super awesome. Thanks. This feels really good <laughs> Hitting the weights um, Okay, so number one question, Gary. Yes. We got a lot of high schools in here, and I want to know, we want to know, what were you like in high school, man? What was the Gary V at that time before this Gary V arrived? So it's funny, this is interesting timing. For uh, only like a week or two ago, I posted my high school report card on Instagram because I was starting to realize through a lot of the feedback that people that were consuming my content didn't realize when I was saying that I was a DNF student in high school that I was a DNF student. Like I would see a lot of people like reference like B's and C's, which I guess, you know, to straight A student culture seems like D's and F's. You know, I'm, I, I had a very unique high school career. Number one, when I, when I started high school the summer before in eighth grade was when my dad dragged me into the liquor store and I basically stopped hanging out with friends in eighth grade. So like every summer day of that vacation leading up to high school and then every weekend in high school, I worked at the store. And I mean, just so everybody knows, not like, not like checking the box like you want your kid to work, more like, because I'm first generation immigrant, more like the merchants of the 50s and 60s. Meaning on Saturday, I left my house at 7 a.m. and we got home at 9 p.m. and on Sunday we left at 10 a.m. and got home at like six, like just worked. And so that's number one. Number two, I am unbelievably, I know there's, a, I see a lot of faces, a lot of people here have some context for me. I am unbelievably not comfortable being mean to another person. Like just completely, does not come natural to me. I hate negativity, I hate cynicism and I definitely hate suppressing somebody or hurting their feelings. So I was very awkward for high school where that is of culture. And so I had, I was 
awfully friendly with a lot of people. It wasn't that I was like so popular with everybody, it's just that I really genuinely wanted to be friends with everybody. Third, I was trying to sell so much shit to my friends in high school. Like I would literally take all of lunch, freshman and sophomore year, and literally walk table to table trying to sell people baseball cards, um, which wasn't necessarily the coolest fucking thing to do, uh, but very much kind of where I was as, as a person. Um, and then finally, I would say the last thing that sums me up in high school was we had a senior breakfast. I don't know, I've never really heard of this, but our high school thought it was a tradition. Like somewhere in, in March or April with maybe a month or two left in high school, the whole senior class got together in the cafeteria and they did a nice breakfast and then they gave out mics for people to say things and you know, not a lot of people wanted to say things or sappy things and I'll never forget, my one friend took the mic and he goes, the only, the, like the number one thing I'll remember about high school is always being super hopeful that Gary Vaynerchuk was in my class because <laughs> I knew that, mean, that meant that he was gonna distract the teacher for between seven and 15 minutes a day and we would end up not working as hard in that class. So, <laughs> so that was me. So any of those people in this room, that distractor, yeah. All right, so uh, I have more questions. I will fill in gaps as needed. Um, but this is, uh, this is about uh, everyone here in the room, in particular the students. So um, one thing, one, one sort of kind of quick rule. Um, uh, quick questions, maybe not too many follow-ups, um, and we'll keep it flowing so everyone can kind of get, get in as much as possible while Gary's with us, all right? You got the mic over there? And oh yeah, um, the, if, yeah the microphone's right over there um, if you want to walk over so we can hear you loud and clear. And maybe uh, as, as that first brave person's walking over, just maybe hello, your name. And um, I know most of the questions are going to be directed for me, but I really encourage you to ask Gary. <laughs> hey man. Hey Gary, big fan. Thank you. Uh, what's your name? Martin. Martin. Martin Hoy. I'm on the associate board, like a couple of these people are here. Um, I listen to your podcast, and one of the themes that I get is that uh, you, you tell people that you wouldn't be where you are today unless you made kind of big, bold moves, put yourself out there, and, and you see what happens. And so this is, for the first time, a lot of the students in the room here are trying that out uh, in the program. And so sometimes they don't get what they want uh, after they put themselves out. So I wanted to ask you, can you tell us about a time when you put yourself out there, uh, didn't get what you wanted, and how you dealt with it? That's a good question, you know, uh, Jesus. Um, the reason I said Jesus is like, it's unbelievable how much I struggle with recalling failures even though I have failures every day, right? And so I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to be empathetic to the students and think about something that would bring them value. Here's my thing, Let me, I'm gonna take your question and I'm, get, I'm gonna try to provide value, which is the following. I'm curious who gets to own a loss. I'm curious, you know, when I put myself out there, the biggest things, mistakes I've made in my career, hands down, have been the things I didn't do versus what I've done. I'm an old school immigrant. I seem aggressive in putting myself out there. I'm ridiculously practical. I've never put myself in any kind of position that has ever made me super vulnerable to lose it. I've never bet it all, right? I mean, you know, we took a huge mortgage in building Wine Library. You know, that was kind of betting it all, but I was, I was, as long as I was healthy, I was running that business. You know, to me the bigger question here is when you fail, when you do a startup and you fail, right? Who gets to own that loss? 
is the much more interesting question that I would tell all the kids here, which is when you fail, when you do this and nobody buys your hats, who owns that? I think I own it. My L's are my L's. Your two cents on my losses don't mean shit to me. And I think the biggest reason people struggle with doing things is they allow somebody else's opinion matter more than their own about themselves. And so when I curse or when I you know, have made bold predictions or all the things that I've done, or, or I mean, some of the, all those fancy people at those conferences that I met in the 2000s, when I started VaynerMedia, they called me and said they were disappointed in me. This is real life. Mm-hmm. That whole crew mm, of all the founders who built trillion dollar companies who would listen to me and thought I was thoughtful a decade ago called me when I started VaynerMedia and said that they were disappointed in me because I could do so much more than just build an agency. I respected that because these were the characters that were building Facebook and Dropbox and Uber and I had empathy but I also have self-awareness. I wasn't gonna build one of those companies. It's not how I'm wired, it's not how I create wealth. I knew that I was gonna eat crow for a decade or two, build a platform foundation, and then I would buy companies and run them through it, and that over a 30 year period, I could create entrepreneurial success and massive building growing. So when you have the fanciest, hottest, you know, I literally at the time had three people who were on the covers of Forbes and Inc. and Fast Company call me and say, you basically, in a nice way, you suck. And for me, I just loved it because I couldn't wait. And by the way, I just mentioned three that went on to crush it. I had eight or nine others who raised 40 million for their fancy products and they lost. And they have jobs now. And so like, you don't know who's going to do what. My big thing is for the kids in this crowd, when you do something, when you go back to school and nobody bought your hats and they make fun of you, I just don't understand what the value of their opinion is because I know that you got the experience of understanding why did they or not buy the hats. Love it, thank you. Um, I see some, yeah, we'll take some applause, that's great. Thanks, Mom. (laughs) You got a question? Yeah, he's ready. Uh, my name is Anne Castillo, and I was wondering, how do you stand out in a society saturated with media? Uh, I think it's depth. I think it's quality. Like, people always ask me, how do I stand out? How do I grow awareness? How do I get more followers? All the cliche stuff. It's always gonna come down to having the chops, right? I was just being interviewed before I went up here, and the young man says, how do I get to be where you are quickly? And I said to him, you don't. (laughs) You know, I think the thing that is often forgotten in my narrative is I did work for 15 years building businesses before I ever spoke about it or wrote a book or gave a speech. And I think right now, I don't look down on the youngsters trying to build a brand or stand out because I'm sure if I had the internet at this stage when I was 16, I would have gravitated towards it with my personality. I have empathy. The problem is the only way to stand out in my opinion, is to stand out for the long term. You could do a lot of things to stand out for the next week. You can use shock movement, you can growth hack, you can buy followers, all the dumb shit that everybody's doing to win for a week or a month, maybe even a year. To me the question is how do you stand out forever? And that's being a tortoise, not a hare. That's doing the right thing day in and day out. That's deploying patience and recognizing 
the only people that you want to be that stand out are the ones that are doing something of depth and that takes a long time to create. And so that, I think, I think about standing out from one simple standpoint which is having skills and executing against them. The thing you at 15 and the people in here at 70 still have 30, 40 years to go, they need to figure out self-awareness. Standing out is a byproduct of you being self-aware and understanding what you're good at and what you love and that paradigm and then deploying patience on the execution of that delta. That's how you stand out. And, and Gary, when you mentioned earlier with the, with the agency model, did you know at that, so it, it makes perfect sense, like you, you have a platform you build on top of it, did you know the path at that time, did you, or did you at the time, you know, hey, I'm gonna disrupt agencies, obviously you've been in the game, I, these agencies, no. the whole codes are ripe for disruption. I knew, I knew at that time. I okay. knew, you know what happened during those summer nights in Vegas or other conferences I went to where I was spending a lot of time with special kids that I thought were gonna change the world and clearly have? I, I, I eat my own dog food. I was deploying self-awareness. And, af- and after a little while of spending time with special people, I said, you know what? What makes them special that doesn't make me special? What makes me special that doesn't make them special? I realized at some point that my ability to understand human psychology and human nature and what they would pay attention to in the future was something I was trading on. I understood consumer behavior a hair of a second faster than a lot of people and I had the humility to put in the work in new places, taste them, and then be able to trade on it. So basically what VaynerMedia is and was at the time was I was gonna build the scalable version of my core one unique strength which is communicating in this new world. And just to say, the way I heard is you you knew your superpower early and everyone here has a superpower, right? Yeah, I mean, and everybody's superpowers are different, right? Like Spider-Man's way cooler than Ant-Man, you know? And so like, like, you know. There isn't an Ant-Man, is there? Yeah, there's an Ant-Man. What the fuck? Anyway, um, and so to me, to me, the reason I said that is I also don't think like, I don't think everybody's destined to like build a trillion dollar company and like change the world. And, and by the way, nor do I think most people aspire to it, especially when they get the taste of being the last line of defense. You know, you, you said something earlier, we need more entrepreneurship. I would argue at this moment, right this second, we need less entrepreneurship. And I know that's a curveball. We need more self-awareness. Mm. Everybody thinks they're a founder. There's a whole lot of executives. There's a whole lot of people that are leaving a lot of happiness in their lives because they're graduating from Wharton and think they're a founder. They're not, but instead, what they would have been is a great number three or a great number seven. Please do not understand this. Please, excuse me, don't misunderstand this. The makeup of a number one, a person who lives their life every day knowing they're the last line of defense and has to have a constant running energy in the back of their mind of anxiety of knowing they are the last line of defense. And that, you know, you know what's great about school and working at some, or working somewhere? You can blame someone else if it fails. When you start your own company, when it fails, it's 100% your fault, 100. You hired that person. You made that strategy during this economic time. It is 100% your fault. And so I think we need more self-awareness of who you are and that, that is something that I very much believe in. Thank you, Gary. Let's get the next uh, question over there, microphone uh, in the middle. And in case you guys are wondering, yep. right there in the middle. Oh, you're coming? Oh. Yep. We'll get him next. Okay. 
uh, you mentioned empathy. Yes. Empathy. Empathy. Yes. There's very few uh, businessmen like you, like you in your success, that mention empathy so often. Uh, why is it? Where does it come from? And why is that part of your mojo? I think it's going to be something in five to seven years you'll hear most business people talk about. I think empathy for me speaks about a lot of things. I think it comes from my mother, to be frank. Uh, I think DNA-wise, and she also nourished it. You know, w uh, early on in my life, I showed a lot of compassion to others. Back to how I mentioned earlier, I don't like when people are upset. Or so my mom would extend. Sh she would be very aggressive in making a big deal when I was kind, or empathetic, or compassionate. Later. I got to spend a lot of time with my dad. We lived 45 minutes away from the liquor store, so we would drive up Route 78 in Jersey back and forth. My dad doesn't talk. He's just an old school Eastern European, we are really different, which meant I had to learn, to, I basically talked to my dad constantly to see how he would react, even like with an eyebrow or just one word, and I started really learning how to have that relationship. So I think the circumstance of my parents created a very empathetic thing for me, which then worked well for me as a salesman and as a manager, because my default in every situation, it's why I'm a good public speaker. I only think about the other party. Because if you only think about the other party, the things that you worry about will be there. If you're the more valuable entity in the relationship, it's the leverage. And so I think empathy is actually Fundamentally, I would argue that Steve Jobs' design capabilities were far more empathetic than anything else. He understood the consumer's wants and needs intuitively. Um, I think a great leader is only empathetic. And so I, uh, I think that's where it comes from and I'm very convinced and, and probably on slightly a mission to make it something that is talked about more and you know I think some of these softer emotional intelligence skills like gratitude and empathy and kindness have been historically associated with women and I think that I'm, I'm an extremely alpha kind of character and I think it's a little bit of an enigma but I have a funny feeling I'm a preview to something that is gonna be far more common in the future. You know, it's funny, I often publicly answer I don't know which then leads to 500 people sending me emails that they know and they would love to charge my audience $5,000 to teach them, right? <laughs> Sorry, I just am thinking about it like that. Um, I'm not sure, but I will say this. The thing that I've seen work, the closest thing, advice I've given to people that work for me and my friends that has worked, that I, but I'm not so sold that it's building self-awareness, but it might be a precursor, is creating relationships with the people that know you the best that allows a safe place for them to tell you the truth. Like, uh, you know, and this is why I think therapy is great, couples therapy, all these different things are really powerful. It's how I mitigate with my, you know, managers. Like, you need to create an environment where people can give you honest feedback. Uh, so, in my office, my people that visit me, business associates, other people, are flabbergasted by the way my employees talk to me and I'm super proud of it. They think they're being disrespectful. I think I've created the right environment. If you're, if you're comfortable enough to tell me I suck, <laughs> like, then we're on the right path, right? And so I think it's by, if you really wanna figure it out, 
like just tactically, I think a hardcore two, three hour dinner with the 15 people that you know the best, family and friends, where you convince them, in a week I need you to come back and tell me the truth to every question and if you, you're not gonna hurt my feelings and I'm not gonna lash out and like, if you can ever pull that off, you need actual real candor and feedback because people are ideological and romantic of who they are or what they are going to be and, uh, and, and then that creates emotional responses. That's why I love entrepreneurship so much. There's nowhere to hide. It doesn't matter you know, who your grandpappy was. You know, once you know, once you hit, and this is what I love so much about organizations like this, I genuinely believe that people that start from a lower place have the advantage now in an internet world because they lack entitlement and they've tasted negativity so that they have the stomach for adversity. I think the abundance in the system in America and the way modern parenting is around people with abundance trying to protect from losses and failure is not setting them up for reality and I see it every day. So, you know, I'm out there talking to organizations, I was one this week with people that live in shelters, I'm like, you don't see it, it's tough being a 42 year old white man and telling you this, but here's the truth, you have the advantage. If you have the internet in your pocket and you're coming from adversity, You've got a different hunger and a different framework that is far more, far more powerful to, for the world we now live in. You, you literally just stole, you, you, you stole the perfect segue, which I wanted to point out over here when you think about a lot of the students from Build. Yep. Look how many uh, girls in the house, women yep. in the house, right? Yep. Lots of minorities. Yep. And I think in this environment, in this day and age, as you kind of look at you know these kids and those yep. ones over there, we see you yep. over there on your phone, on, yep. on your Insta. Yep. Um, what do you say to them, right, All along those lines? I mean, you, you kind of just did, right? You know, what I really say to them is bad news. Unlike your parents and grandparents who, who came from adversity, you have no excuses because they didn't have the internet. Like, bad news is what I tell them. Like, whatever bullshit or excuses you're gonna come up with aren't gonna be true because the internet doesn't care where you came from, what's your last name, what your gender is, and what skin tone you have. It's, a, it's an unbelievably open marketplace for entrepreneurship, the end. So what do I tell them? I'm like, you know, excuses out the door. Like, you, you can't, you're not gonna be able to, cr- like, you have to understand why. My big thing is if anybody's ever made it with your circumstance, if there's ever been a person who's had two alcoholic parents, lived in 13 foster homes, and went on to succeed and have happiness, the excuse has been eliminated. That's how I think about it. Perfect, thank you, Gary. What we were gonna do one more, and I was gonna say, uh, under the age of 20 is gonna get the, the privilege. So we're, actually, we're gonna go right Let's here. Let's go this lady, because I, this, I Actually, we're gonna go this young Let's, lady. We'll do both. Here. We'll do both, we'll do both. Yes, you first. Chivalry, baby. <laughs> <laughs> In a society full of opportunities for young people, when do you know it's time to take your shot? You know, first of all, it depends on what your shot is. Usually the way I think about taking a shot is if you're not negatively affecting anybody around you that you care for, it's time to take your shot, right? So like, I don't know how you're defining your shot. You know, I often give you know, advice that is unpopular around the current infrastructure. I'm the biggest fan of all time of education. I'm the least fan of the way education is packaged and sold, right? So, you know, you know, the answer is now. You know, the only thing that stops people from taking their shot are something very black and white and something extremely gray. 
The great part is other people's opinions. You're worried about other people's opinions. The only other thing is if you've defined your shot as like I'm gonna open up a store and you don't have the money to open up the store. But to me, like, you could sell in a pop-up store for one day or on Shopify or Amazon for one day before you get to that, so you, you eliminate that excuse. And, and as you can imagine, and maybe by the tone of today's conversation, I'm desperately trying to get everybody into their own head and get, like, if I could wish anything for anybody here besides health, it would be to be able to be so emotionally strong that you're able to shut out every voice but your own. And if your own voice is telling you you suck and this and that, you need to understand that somebody fed that to you and that you need to work and chip away at that and change that voice. We have one uh, time for one more, I believe. Yes, we'll, we'll take the pause. So every morning when I open my Instagram, I see one of your posts and like, you have like a different phrase every day. So my question is, how can you relate to everybody in the world and motivate them more just passing a couple words? That's awfully nice. Um, you know, honestly, I think, I think what's happening for me and what I would wish for so many more, look, I have my thing. But, but I do believe a lot of people here could do a lot of more good if they didn't think about creating and if they didn't overthink about what they said and they just spoke about their truth. You know, people are like, oh, you're such a good speaker. I'm like, yeah, I just talk about what I'm living. I don't have to create anything. There's no deck. There's, I only talk about very narrow things of what I understand. I think the thing that's resonating and why you'll say that to me and why the other day I'm at the airport and this 92-year-old woman came up to me and she's like, your Instagram's the shit. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, is because I think the one thing that ties that together from that huge range is I speak my truth. I'm not on Instagram trying to come up with quotes to get more likes. I'm on Instagram because I enjoy communicating and so I think the reason I'm able to continue to post so much is because I'm just speaking what's, what I'm thinking about at that moment. To me, I'm doing so much in my life that themes are popping up all the time. I'm affected by this hour right now, right? And your questions and what you're thinking and like inevitably I'm gonna go in the car and on my way to my next meeting and I may think about something that was brought up or like how you zoned in on empathy. Like that may, that's like I know for a fact, especially how you asked it, that's gonna play for me quite a bit. Or how seeing this young man again, last time in Singapore, four months later or five months later, we see him again and guess what? He's still fucking impatient. <laughs> and he's been listening and he's listening and he's listening to me and he's impatient. And so I'm like, why can't I break through to him and everybody else on this? And so all these themes will happen, right? And so I think, the, I think, I think I'm able to do it because I'm just living my truth through and through. And I think a lot of people are trying to game or get short-term like, feelings. Like, people are playing for the wrong reasons. So uh, we're gonna do, um, well first of all, Gary, thank you so much on behalf of, on behalf of Bill. Um, the sponsors, everybody that's been, been uh, working hard to lead up to the event. Um, and I also want to give a huge shout out to the strategy. If the, if the youngsters are over there and you put the food there, that was <laughs> fucking smart. Um, that, Gary's gonna be here for a little bit. Um, he's got some books, please get his book. And Gary, we are here, obviously we're here for the kids, we're here for you as well. Huge round of applause for Gary and his time tonight, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.